My name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be I'm just uh, speaking from the Bible for the next the next little while. Uh, there was a quite a well-known, um, well, in Christian circles, quite a well-known commentary written on the Book of Ephesians years ago, a few decades ago now, and it was called "Sit, Walk, Stand." Brilliant title, and um, the reason why it was called that is because the first part of Ephesians is really all about what God has done for us in Jesus. And we've been digging into that for the past few months. Have you enjoyed that? Have you been encouraging? And so the idea is really that if if you are a Christian, if you're thinking about being a Christian, the primary posture for a Christian, the primary posture... The first and most important posture, if you're going to be a Christian, is not this. It is this. What I mean is, this is great. This speaks of humility. This speaks of bowing the knee. This speaks of um, a recognition that he is Lord and I'm not. This is huge. This is, this is central. This is massive. What this speaks of is, there is really nothing I can do. And if you want to get to this place healthily, you have to start here. You have to realise that you see the holiness of God, the greatness of God. And any attempt to try to... Sh- bow the knee, you think it's not working, I'm still caught up with myself, still caught up with other things, part of my heart rages against, why should he be God? That's called indwelling sin. There's something in our hearts that doesn't want to do this. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through his work on our behalf, when we were helpless, the Bible says, when we were helpless, he did everything that needed to be done in order to reconcile us to God. And so when you first come to know God, you really do come in this position. You just recognise it's been done for me. It's a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And something inside our hearts, inside, I don't like this, I want to bring something to the table. Of course we do. You know, all of us naturally want to bring something to the table. But when it comes to our salvation, our rescue, we bring nothing to the table. In fact, all that we do just makes things worse. Jesus has done it for us. And that is the foundation place. And when you realise that and you come to the cross and you realise it's been done for me, then comes this. You bow the knee. This is central, this is huge. You can't, this is absolutely vital, but it, this first. And you realise, oh my gosh, and you, you bow the knee and you say, Jesus Christ, I'll gladly, I'll gladly give you the throne of my heart. Gladly call you Lord. Gladly submit all to you. I'm yours. I'm yours. So we're not saying this is optional, this is bonus, this is central. But it's this first. It's grace. When we were helpless, the Bible says. You can spend your whole day praying, the whole day reading the Bible, the whole day going to church. It will not in any way reconcile you to God. Jesus Christ reconciles you to God. Yeah? Sit is what we've been looking at in the first three chapters of, um, of Ephesians. Now we get on to walk, which is a very, uh, it's one of Paul's favourite ways of describing how we live our life. The Hebrew understanding of life is that it's linear, 
Therefore, living life is like walking the journey, doing the pilgrimage. So now, what does it look like? Once you've understood all these things that are freely ours in Christ, it's amazing. Oh, we've looked at forgiveness, adoption, being chosen before the foundation of the world. When we're dead in our sins, God making us alive in Christ, breaking down division between Jew and Gentile, making us, bringing us together. So, so now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The way I'm going to preach today is read a bit, preach a bit, read a bit, preach a bit, rather than reading the whole thing. Um, if you're here today and you are in some way troubled by the disharmony on the planet, by the, the, the falling out of either friends or family or nations, and you think, what, what's the, what is the answer here? Today's sermon is for you. If at the other spectrum you're, you're actually less fussed about that, but you're, what you are fussed about is, is you're concerned about, you're concerned about how, can we, how can life get to the place where Everyone in their uniqueness, everyone in their unique flavour and in their unique personality can somehow have the space to express that and, 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 and for that to be seen in all its glory. How can we get there? This sermon is for you. Okay? So if these things ever enter your mind, this or that, then, then today's is for you. I love, so I'm so thankful for the words that have come today because they, they really do confirm what I'm about to preach. So, Ephesians chapter, one, chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a worthy manner. He's, he's, he's proclaimed the glories of the gospel and that it's all been done for us when we were helpless. But what he doesn't then do is then say, so it actually doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter then. And that's the way some people conclude. They, they see this huge gift dropped in our lap. And they go and say, well, maybe we should just carry on sinning then. Maybe, do you know what? If when we were these sinners, God's grace just abounds and abounds and saves us and rescues us, maybe it's God's will, maybe the way we should live is we just keep on sinning, but even more grace comes. No, says Paul. Look at what God has done for you in Christ freely and out of that place learn to walk in a way that, that, is, that, that, that is in line with the heart of God. God has reconciled you to himself. Why? So that there might be relationships so that you can walk with him. God didn't reconcile you to himself through Jesus so that you could, in some, in some bizarre kind of way, continue to live in such a way as to insult him. He, he went the extra mile and some by giving up his one and only son to draw you into his family. Why? So that you might be restored to his family. And actually so that you might become a son, a daughter, who learns the family way. So that you might mature and so that you might carry in your heart the family way. Not just trying to be good, but actually being transformed from the inside. Where you, you, you carry the marks of the family. That's how family ought to work. In, in the initial stages of bringing up children, it's, you know, there's, don't do this, do, do that. You have to, yeah, there's lots of um, behaviour. You have to get the behaviour right. Otherwise they could harm themselves, harm others, or just learn to be really destructive. There's a lot of that. But there comes a transition point. I guess it's very gradual as they get older, where you're looking for them to begin inside to actually own those values. Not to have to be told the whole time, don't smash that thing up. <laughs> don't hit your sister. But actually, somehow inside gets formed in them a value system where they carry the family way. That's the heart of God. So Paul's saying, look all that God has done. Now I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the, worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Look at what Paul does. He teaches, 
And then he urges. He's, teach, he's taught the gospel and now he urges. This is how we grow. We get, we get strong in the gospel, we get good in the gospel truth, and then through the urging of the scripture, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and one another, as we help one another, we grow through urging. This is why things like running partners, where we meet in small, very small groups to encourage each other, to pray with each other, there must be urging. Is there urging in your running partnership? Or when someone's struggling or someone's finding it hard or whatever, I'm sure, I know you well enough to know that when people are struggling and finding it hard, there's a lot of encouragement. And there's a lot of, God loves you. And there's a lot of arms around the shoulder. That stuff is absolutely vital. And it builds the right kind of safety in the relationship where we can very gently also urge each other. Urge each other onwards. Help each other. I personally have found moments in my life where someone that I love, that I know loves me, has just gently urged me, and you think, yeah. You know, and you think, I kind of knew anyway. But that urging from the, from the outside. It's a bit like, when I go, um, when I do my little training thing once a week, little training, boxing training thing, it's, it, I find it incredibly, uh, it, ma- it makes me reflect on myself when the, the, the coach is urging us strongly <laughs> to do the plank, do 20 more press-ups or whatever, and I find, why can't I do this at home? I try and do the plank at home, you know, <laughs> or 20 press-ups at home, or 20 more at home, and I, 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 there's no, because there's no urging coming from outside. And actually part of God's grace to us is that he gives us each other, that we might gently and wisely and lovingly urge each other on. Because what happens is when we do that is that we reach places that we wouldn't have reached otherwise. It's what the word exhortation means. We call each other up into all that we can be in Christ. And it keeps us from settling for stuff that's actually less than what God wants for us. So it's really important that we, that we take this model and say, okay, there's, let's learn how to urge. Let's talk about that. Learn how to urge. So he urges, okay, so this is, this is the backdrop. Sit, walk. I'm going to urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Now let's read verses 2 to 3. So he's urging them to walk in a manner worthy. What does that look like? With all humility and gentleness and patience, Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Isn't that interesting? If I was to say to you, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, what would you think? What, what, what does that look like? I was to say, right, write down three things on a bit of paper, what you think that looks like. Paul says, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. That's gospel. If we learn to live like that with one another... We're going to create a genuine gospel community as a church. Like I say, not that we just let things go and if someone's you know, misbehaving, that doesn't matter. No, 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 not at all. He's urging them to walk worthy. But what he's saying is, listen, this needs to be marked by humility, by gentleness, and by bearing with each other. You think, well, why? Here's why. That's the gospel. Isn't that how God deals with us? Look at the humility of God in giving his one and only son who went to the lowest place to pull us out. And lift us up. The humility of God. Look at the gentleness of God. He could have crushed us in a moment. Crushed us with a word. Instead he comes and he, he sends this little baby. Jesus in a manger. And you think, wow, it's all so gentle and, and meek. It's the heart of God. Look at this. Bearing with one another. And this patience. God, how patient God has been with us. How patient he's been with us. See, what Paul is saying is, model the gospel in the way you live. Look at, look at the gospel. Let it shape it the way you are with one another. Care about each other. 
carry one another in your hearts. This is, this is what it is, is to be like. And he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's very important. He says, there's a unity that you have, be eager to maintain it. He's not, he doesn't say create it. He doesn't say, come on guys, you should be one. He says, you are one. We'll look at that in a moment. He says, but there's something to maintain. It's very different maintaining something from creating something, isn't it? Very, totally different thing. Very different thing. You could say to me, like, create a new kitchen. I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm not that guy. <laughs> that, that's not me. You could say, there's your kitchen, maintain it. I think, okay, that's easier. That's a different thing. Jesus has made us one. He's created the church. It's, a, it's his work on the cross. He has made us one. Now Paul says, but listen, maintain that unity. In the bond of peace. It's not passive. There's nothing passive about the Christian life. It's a, it's a bit of a conundrum. How does it work together? God does it all for us in Christ. But the conclusion therefore isn't, let's be passive. The conclusion is that the fact that God has given us all we need in Christ should actually motivate us to, to be really confident in giving ourselves sacrificially to the purposes of God. Knowing that we're going to be successful. Why? Because, it, because of all that Christ has accomplished. So we're not getting stressed out, trying to create church unity. Jesus has made us one. We are one. Let's work out how to maintain that. A really important way to maintain that is by dealing with each other humbly, gently, and patiently. It's very, very important. It's interesting that Paul focuses a lot on internal relationships in the church. It's really, you think, why, is he, why, is he, why isn't he saying, walk, walk in a manner worthy, get out there and preach the gospel? Well, he does say that, and it's really important. But actually, he's, he's focusing really important on the, on the health of the church. You think, well, why? Well, if we remember some of the things we've read about in Ephesians already. In chapter 1, we read that Jesus is the head of all things, and the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is overall in the whole of creation, and so he, but, but the church is the fullness of him. We are the full expression. Jesus chooses to, ex- chooses to express who he is in creation through us. Number one. Ephesians 2, we're told, we're a dwelling place of God. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So together we become this place where God loves to indwell us with his very presence. Ephesians 3. Through the church... God makes known to the principalities and powers, the angelic and the demonic realm. He makes known his amazing wisdom through the way that he's brought together people from every background. So you see the importance of Ephesians, we're the fullness of him who fills all in all, we're the household of God, we are the demonstration in spiritual realms of the wisdom of God, how important it is that we take care of our relationships with each other. And it's absolutely vital that we don't allow things to creep in, a kind of an intolerance of one another or a deep frustration with each other, resentment and unforgiveness. These, these are the things that, let's just be honest, we're humans. We're, 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 we, are, we are not yet fully in the image of Jesus Christ. It is actually very tempting. The more we meaningfully engage with church, it's very tempting to fall into some of these things. Because if I just come to a meeting, sit on the edge, don't engage them and go home again, I can look pretty holy. I can put my hands up in the songs. I can dance at the fast ones. And go home looking pretty good. Once I start actually rubbing up against you in life, let's do some life together. Let's serve together. Then actually things start coming out there where we see each other for who we are a bit more and we have to work out what we're going to do about this. 
What are we going to do about the fact that I'm like this and you're like this? What are we going to do about our differences, our huge differences? What are we going to do about the fact that you can't stop talking? What are we going to do about the fact that, 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 that you never say anything? What, do, what are you thinking? What, 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 do we, what do we do about it? What do you do about the fact that it seems like you've always got to be the centre of attention? These things that come up, as all of us are, works in progress. Paul says lots of humility, lots of gentleness, lots of patience. People are not, you can't have a person, don't take a person on as a project. Don't do it. First people are not projects. They'll always surprise you. My job is working with people. I am still very much in the process of realising, I should know because I am one, but I'm in the process of, of, of realising that, boy, people are not computers. And we might use terms like, oh, this thing got downloaded to me, or I'm just processing computer talk, but we're not computers. We are deeply mysterious. And the moment you think you've got someone nailed, be careful. You say, I've got them nailed down, I, I get it now. No. <laughs> We've all got elements that are a bit predictable, but I tell you what, people are mysterious. And so it's really important that we, that we take time to actually engage with this. You think, well, is this, is this Christian? Is this glorious? Actually, yeah, it really is. Because to be in a community where you, are, you know and are known, where you learn to love and, are, and be loved, where you give and receive, where you make room for one another, I mean, these things are huge. That's, that's life. That's what God made us for. That's the family of God. That's the kingdom. That's what it should be like in the church. And if we don't give time to this, I wanted to show a clip today, but it got a bit confusing. Any of you seen Men in Black 1? Yeah. You know that kind of alien that sort of, he sort of um, gets inside the body of that farmer. And, um, uh, and Davina, I won't ask her to do it, but she has a quite a good impression <laughs> of him. And it, early years in our marriage, I have to tell you, you need to stop because I'm scared. And it, what happens is, for those of you who haven't seen the film, it's basically this huge kind of alien cockroach, it's about ten foot tall, that sort of gets inside the body of this, I don't know, five foot ten farmer, so he's sort of bursting out of it. And so he's, he'll be walking down the street and suddenly go, his arm will go out, and he'll try and pull it back in, and he'll be walking down the street. And it's like, man, that's weird, what is that? Well, in the spirit, that's what the church looks like. When we're not looking after each other. Let that image stick in your mind. When you're not getting on with someone, so you're to be impatient. Well, listen to the next few verses. Listen. There's only there's one body. Jesus has got one body. One. And there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's only one hope for eternal life, Jesus. There's one Lord. His name is Jesus. There's one faith. Faith in Him. We talk so much about, oh, was I'm my faith, your faith. The Bible talks about the faith. The faith. There's only one faith. Everything else is a concoction of man. There is one true faith. It's in Jesus Christ. We must be true to the, to the, to the gospel. This is, what, this, is the, this is the message we proclaim. There's one baptism. Only one baptism in the name of Jesus. You baptised into Christ. One God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So, so Paul is painting this incredible picture of unity and saying, you are one. You must learn how to be one because you are one. You must be eager to maintain unity rather than letting something build up on your heart against someone and say, well, I'm going to change team. 
I want to serve in a different area because they're bugging me. You know, uh, God's plan for his church is that she's like, a, she's like a ballet dancer. Gracefully moving along, everything in time, everything coordinated, everything just beautiful. That's, that's the heart of God for the church. Imagine that in your mind, that picture of this wonderful ballet dancer springing across the room with elegance and grace. That is what the church is like in the spirit when we are learning to be humble, gentle and patient with one another. Engaging with things. Not just being nice. English are quite good at that. But it can hide all kinds of things. Let's move on. So, so there's this oneness, right? So if you're thinking, you're thinking, oh, oh, this oneness, wow, this is the answer to the disharmony on the earth, the church. There is no true harmony in the world outside of Christ. You see, we get it all wrong. We, we, we draw all kinds of fault lines within humanity. We think it's about um, black and white. Or we think it's about old and young. There's a generation gap now that don't understand each other. Or, or we think it's about educated and un- uneducated. Or, or, or the, the, the big one at the moment, obviously, is, is it's about Islamic fundamentalism, Wahhabism and, and secular humanism. And, you know, that's, that's where the fault line is. Or it's straight and gay. Or it's male and female. Or it's gender identifying and non-gender identifying. I mean, you name it. There's so many things it can be. And then we draw these fault lines, left, right and centre. In fact, the Bible says that, that, that there's, there has been one genuine one in God's view, temporarily, between Jew and Gentile, to do with the covenant God made with them. But that's been smashed by the cross. And there's only one real fault line that remains, and that's between Adam and Christ. The old humanity and the new humanity. That is the fault line. There it is. Adam, who represents old humanity, out of, alienated from God, and humanity in Christ. Those who come under the, the headship of Jesus, and through that are reconciled to God. And humanity under Christ is the humanity, the Bible says, that will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. It's the church. And it is to be made up of people from every background. Every tribe and tongue. Every, every one of these various things that we've, that we've looked at that I said can be possibly fault lines. There should be people from every one of those backgrounds in the church. And learning how to be one. I'm working out what is the thing, what is the thing at the root, what is at the root of this disunity? It's sin. That's what's at the root of it. It is sin. That word that means that missing the mark, that I'm gonna, I will do it my way, I will lean to my own wisdom. I, want, I will not submit to the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. I will work it out my way. And, and what, what, one of the biggest manifestations of sin is self-centeredness. Or, or, or centered on anything other than him. And so in Christ, that self is dethroned and we are, we're working out what does it look like to really understand the beauty of God. Now, the next verse is a key because then he goes on and he says this. So there's this picture of oneness, this amazing unity. And then he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one. So there's, yes, there's this oneness. You're, if you're in Christ, you know, you're, you're brought into the family. It's one, but actually to each one. Dum, 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 was given grace 
in accordance with the measure of Christ's gift. Now let me read to it, because he picks up this thing from the Old Testament. Before I read it, the point that I want you to understand through this is that Paul is saying, you're all one, but actually you're all really different. And it's not that your differences in terms of who you are as people, particularly your giftedness. Where God has gifted you, everyone is gifted. Do you know that? You may be here and you may have been so shattered in your confidence, you're like, not me. I tell you now, everyone is gifted. In a natural level, God gifts and talents us all. And when we come to Christ, there are special gifts that are given to each one of us. To, every, to each one. You, you can't argue with the Bible. To each one, Jesus has given a gift. Are you part of each? Are you, do, do you qualify as each? Each one. Yes, then you've been gifted. Now listen, so, so this is what he says. And this is, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's quoting the Old Testament and he's borrowing from the Old Testament using a picture of the victory of God and then he applies it to Jesus. And, he, and just as a victor would come back with the spoils the, and would give gifts to people as a celebration of victory, he's saying it's like that when Jesus rose from the dead and was exalted. He goes on, it's quite confusing. You think, what's he saying? He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He's saying that Jesus who is ascended and enthroned now, before, before this moment of enthronement, he descended, came as a baby to the lowest parts of the earth, meek, Jesus in a, Jesus in a manger. And he who descended, Jesus, is the one who has also now, after his life, death, resurrection, has now ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he zones in on a few of the gifts that Jesus gave and he says this, he gave apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the pastors and teachers. He highlights five and interestingly, it's a bit strange, he does a bit of a flip in his metaphor, in his picture. Originally we've got the idea of Jesus ascending in victory and giving gifts to people. But then he goes on and he changes it and he says, actually he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip the saints. So, oh, so he's giving gifts to people but these gifts are people. Jesus in his ascension has given gifts to the church and those gifts are people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. They have a very special role to play in the life of the church in terms of leadership. In terms of leadership, these, these, if you like, are the preaching ministries. These are the ministries of the word that you will find in the church, and they have a particular function. When I use special, I mean in terms, it's particular. I don't mean it's higher ranking, but it's particular in terms of bringing leadership to the church. And he says this, he says that Jesus gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until... Something happens, we'll look at in a minute. So these gifts have been given to the church, why? So that the church might be equipped to do the stuff. So, an evangelist is given to the church by Jesus, not just so that the evangelist can preach the gospel, and people can come to know Jesus, but, the, but so that the evangelist can speak to the church, and the church's heart can start to burn for those who don't know Jesus yet, and they start to share Jesus. Does that make sense? So the ministry, what happens is, is if you get an evangelist in a church, the church becomes evangelistic. Because what's happening is, is the heart of that evangelist, this is God's gift, Jesus' gift, to the church. And we have some of these in the church, in our church. I don't want to embarrass people, but you'll know, there are people in our church, you just get around them, and their heart for the lost, your heart starts burning, and you think to yourself, do you know what, I've, I want to start sharing more than I am. You're being equipped for the work of ministry. You're being equipped to do what you ought to do. 
It's wonderful to have Mike Betts, an apostle that we have among us. It's just been so, so incredible to have his service, his, uh, his, his spiritual fathering, his, his wisdom and guidance. And the Bible also says that uh, accompanying apostles, there are miracles and wonders. I don't know if you know, but I think it was the last time Mike was here on a Sunday, he prayed for the sick. Someone was healed of hepatitis C. That's pretty extraordinary. There's a blessing that comes from being around that gift. And the thing with the apostle is what the apostle will do. The apostle is all about, mostly about the ends of the earth and catching church up on mission. And so through being associated with Mike and the guys on the team there, our whole, um, our whole energy and acceleration in terms of reaching the ends of the earth has reached new heights. And, now, and, and it's like just being around, the anointed increases and you, you begin to get it more. And now, even just the last time we did Lee, just being able to, um, sorry, enough sending people out um, to, from Rev out to Latvia where we planted the church and then Zooming and the Skyping together and you start to get it and Skyping with the guys in Frankfurt and Gdansk in Poland. And you think, do you know what? We are being caught up in Jesus' mission to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. That is what happens when you get around apostles. And you begin to catch it in your heart and you begin to live and breathe it and you think, oh yes, this is what local churches should be doing. They should be not just thinking about their own locality but caught up with the Great Commission right to the ends of the earth. That's, I mean, praise God for the amazing offering last week. To me, that was incredible that we would be able to raise, what did we raise? That we'd be able to raise £15,259.85p. Someone should clap. I love the spontaneous applause in this church. That's amazing. That's extraordinary. That's beyond anything we've ever done as a church. You think, what is that? That's apostolic grace. I know we've got 15 of us in the church that are on the lead course. And what happens is, again, you're getting, into, you're getting out of just the parochial into the wider, connecting, receiving, and your heart grows, and you just get made bigger. As a result, you want to invest in these things. Apostolic. And then prophets, you get the prophets around us. So Mike Bollinger with us last week. We've got, we got wonderful embryonic prophets in the church here. He gathered with them on the Sunday morning. Started to tell stories about, about his own story, how God journeyed with him. And what happens is, is increasingly among us as a church, we will find that we are, we are functioning in the prophetic. Whether it's a Sunday gospel community, coffee shops, on the streets. But we're just, we want to be sharp in hearing the now voice of God. See, this is, this is, this is Ephesians, but this is important. These are gifts, God gives to the church. And then pastors and teachers, which basically is a, a way of talking about the, what, what, what elders do. They are Jesus' gifts to the church, and they create growth. They create maturity. Listen, these gifts have all been given. This is how we know that apostles are still for today, the prophets are still for today, that all these are still for today, because it says they've been given until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith. It's not happened yet. Until we attain of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Typical Paul. But, 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 what he's saying is this. Jesus is the head, the church is the body. These ministries will still be in play until the, the body is of such proportion, such stature, that she fits with the head. That's quite some growth. That's quite some growth. But it's a beautiful picture to aim for and to look for. So that we may no longer be children tossed and fro by the way, tossed to and fro by the waves, instead oaks of righteousness. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. Oh, I've heard the people who believe in this now. Oh, now I've heard people who believe in this. Immaturity. Taken up with every little fad. That's immature. 
by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Paul says, no, 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 no. When you grow, when you get bigger, you're solid. You're solid and you know who you're about. And we know what we're, we know what we're going for. I'll end with this. Rather, instead of that immature being blown here and everywhere, some of, as I'm talking, actually, the Spirit is just showing me that some of you, you just know that's been your experience. You just feel like, can somebody just tell me what the Bible teaches? I've been here, I've been there. And, you know, we are far from perfect as a church. But um, our heart's desire is, is to grow mature. And we hope that if you are with us, that, you know, that there will be some, some healthy stuff that comes in. So we do trust that that, 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 that won't be your story going forward. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Here's the thing, you see? Remember, remember earlier I said being patient, humble, gentle is more than being nice. Speaking the truth in love. This, my observation is this. If you are culturally English, particularly Southern, you will struggle with this. You will struggle to speak the truth. We've got to learn how to do it and to do it in love. Which means we make sure the way we do it is gentle, humble, but we've got to learn to do it. Because as we listen, listen to how the church grows. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So it's vital, as Rich said earlier, after Anna prophesied, this is about our connection with Jesus. He brings the growth. But listen, so that it builds itself up in love. Oh, hold on a minute. What's, who, what, is it Jesus or is it one another? Yes. How does the church grow? Tell me, give me clarity. Jesus or one another? Yes. That's exactly how the church grows. It's so organic. It's so organic. My hand is helping my arm, but my head's involved. All right? See that? Lovely stuff. Healing. It was spontaneous. I did the best I could in the time I had. I felt it was quite good. But yeah, the head, the body, do you see? It's organic. That's the picture. This is wonderful. Now, I'm going to just end now with this quote. I know it's been longer than usual. Sorry, but it was, I said to Davina, um, we were travelling there from Norwich, and I said, this is six sermons in one. I mean, the content is just huge. But I want to just end with this quote. It's a long quote, but it's really worth it, about, um, about how we deal with our differences uh, in the church, and then we're going to respond. So actually, if the band, if you want to come up, then, that, then, then at least we're, ki- we're kind of being sort of um, clever in terms of timing. Okay. But you're going to have to listen because it is a long quote, but I do think it's really good. Right. What attitudes are needed regarding our differences? Certain attitudes are implicit in the words of Paul that we must take as lessons if we're to honour the Lord who gave the gifts and see them used in the church as he intends. There are loads of other gifts other than, I mentioned the five gifts, but Paul at the start says each one's been given a gift. There are all kinds of other gifts, administration, mercy, the gift of giving, the gift of hospitality, the gift of speaking in other languages supernaturally, the gift of interpreting those languages, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom. And these are, these, these, these are the ones, all the ones I could think of off the top of my head. It's not exhaustive though. There's so many. Okay? So, so, so many. But Paul wanted to particularly point out in Ephesians these, these leadership preaching gifts. Okay? But... There's all, so we've all got. So how do we deal with the fact that we've all got gifts, and how do we honour the Lord? Paul urges us not to despise others' gifts. 
A good deal of life's contentment comes from the realisation of each soul that God did not intend everyone to be just like me. The world is richer and better because of the variety of persons and the church is stronger because of the variety of persons Christ has gifted by his authority out of his generosity and for his purposes. Some time ago I listened to some sermon tapes of one of the great preachers of the middle of last century. His voice was raspy, his manner was harsh, his exegesis, which means his kind of technical preaching, was simplistic, if not flawed, and yet God greatly used him. I've discovered over and over that God calls persons of a particular personality or endurance or vision just at the time he needs them. Some of those God uses are difficult people that he needed to move the church past a particular challenge or make it face a sin or failing that courteous people will not address. The best evangelists I know are not very tactful. They have a boldness that I find hard to take but God uses them. Professors are often introverted, preachers are really good administrators, and church planters are often too entrepreneurial to be satisfied with maintaining things. But if we were all alike, there's little doubt the church would flounder. I'm told that there once were dozens of banana species in the world, but in our efforts to make everything the same for our taste, there are now only three dominant species. A good blight could wipe out bananas worldwide, because there's so little variety among them. Jesus does not so risk his church. When he ascended, he took captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He made some more sympathetic than others, some more enduring than others, some more adventurous than others, some are better ramrods for organising the efforts of many, some are better counsellors for the concerns of individuals, some better businessmen, some better administrators, some better youth workers, some better scholars, some better in public and some better in private. All are vital for the building up of the church, for the fullness of the purposes of Christ, and none should despise the gifts that Christ apportions by his authority, out of his generosity, and for his transforming purposes. You will never be at peace in the church till you recognise that God has brought different kinds of people with different gifts and levels of maturity into the church, not only to sanctify you, but to build up his church in the way he knows the best. Some of the hard-driving people with whom I have most struggled in times of the church's peace have been those I have most needed in times of challenge. Some of those I most wanted to get moving in times of growth have been those I most needed for counsel in times of distress. Those God puts in his church, he intends to be our gifts, his gifts to us. And we must love them accordingly, even if they are quite different from us. But also Paul Paul urges not to despise our own gifts. Not only must we respect God's authority by not despising others' gifts, we must diligently avoid the trap of disregarding or disdaining the value of our own gifts. We may never fulfil the purposes that God has for our lives if we constantly want to be something God has not designed us to be. I am told that once Billy Graham, who was a mighty evangelist, was asked to speak at a college and he gave a history lecture. It was not appreciated. Friends told him later, God gifted you to be an evangelist. Never again despise the gift that is yours. It follows that if we are not to despise our gifts, we also are not to neglect our gifts. We disregard God's authority and generosity when we neglect the gifts he has given us. You know the phrase, what you do not use, you lose. It's often true. People who do not steward their gifts lose the opportunity to do and be what God has best equipped them to do and be for the church. Why do Christians fail to make good use of the gifts Christ has given them? Some Christians don't understand that we are obligated to use the gifts God gives for the building of his church. Obligated. Western mindsets of self-fulfilment may cause us not even to consider our obligation to steward what God has given us for the purposes of the one who purchased us with his own blood and gives us to fellow believers in the church. Failure to steward Christ's gifts is simply sinful neglect of our calling. Sometimes we don't want the obligation of our gifts. They may be in an area that requires sacrifice or doesn't bring a claim. Neglect of our gifts can also be a result of our wanting others' gifts. Instead of living for the Lord's approval and purposes, we want the regard of other people in our particular setting. 
We may be gifted in business, but we're envious of preachers because their life seems simpler and the church offers them greater respect. We may be gifted in being a pastor, but we want to be a professor because it seems simpler. We may be gifted in relationships, but want to excel in academics because we would prefer to be known as smart rather than caring. We may be gifted in prayer, but give it no time because the rewards are private and not public. There's nothing wrong with wanting to excel, but there is everything wrong with not approving the way God has made you and driving yourself to excel in ways he has not gifted you. Happiest are those who discover Christ's gift and give themselves to excel in what God has made them to do. Whether it's preaching or teaching, evangelising or writing or making music or making money or giving counsel or showing hospitality or creating art according to the gift that the Lord God has given. In light of God's gift in us for his purposes, we must ask ourselves these important questions. Am I doing what God has made me to do or am I neglecting my gift? Am I delighting to be what God has made me to be or am I despising my gifts? The Christians that I know who have made the greatest shipwreck of their lives for reasons other than blatant sin are those who have not been satisfied with fulfilling the calling of their specific gifts. They always wanted to be someone else. If you despise what God has made you to be, you will never find the satisfaction that he intends for you. Love what God has made you to be and believe that he is using you even in difficult places. Such confidence that he is giving himself to the church through you will be the source of deepest satisfaction of your life. Amen?